This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, the story of where's the beef, the most famous catchphrase ever. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And we're looking at the story of, you know, arguably the most famous commercial slogan, if you want, catchphrase of all time. And that's Where's the Beef, the Wendy's commercial from the 80s. So we're looking at the whole story of this thing and this phenomenon, which is also the story of Clara Peller, who was the actress who gave the Where's the Beef line. So it's very interesting how all this came together. And, you know, you can't today we call these like, you know, viral videos or whatever. And this is a time where that only happened the odd time. Now, every day there's a different viral whatever sensation. Uh, So there was never an intent to create something viral. You always have the hope creating commercial be successful, but something's just completely take off. And there's really no prediction that something like this would. It uses maybe just a standard throwaway commercial. And it's something that doesn't have a formula or every company would try to produce something that catches on like wildfire. So this is a look at a catchphrase and, you know, really a company slogan that crossed over into all areas of pop culture and is referenced by everyone from politicians to celebrities. And it just, you know, had this like wildfire effect that it just kept going and growing and everything like that. So a pretty amazing story that we'll look at. Before we get to that, if you haven't already, do me a solid and go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Uh, that way you get the shows automatically sent to you and we can get right into this. Okay. So of course, over the years, there have been many iconic catchphrases from commercials. You know, some that come to mind are the What's up commercials from Budweiser? I'm loving it. Finger licking good. They're great. Tony the Tiger, just do it. A diamond is forever. You know, there's a ton of ones you can think of. But this one catchphrase from the 80s really seems to rule them all. If you grew up in this decade, you know how iconic this uh, this slogan was. The impact it's had through the decade and beyond. And how it made Clara Peller, the woman who uttered them, really world famous. So Where's the Beef continues to grow and is now associated with questioning things such as ideas, events, or products as to if they had any substance. So the first thing to look at is why was this commercial needed? And to start out, like I love Wendy's, the company. Outside of higher-end burger places, I still think it's the best of the fast food burgers. I mean, now we have like, you know, Shake Shack and In-N-Out. And, but for the standard 
run-of-the-mill fast food, I always thought Wendy's was the best. And even though it's you know commercially made fast food, it still had a touch more sense of freshness to it. Obviously, McDonald's and Burger King are the two main leaders of the fast food burger market in the 80s. And they were really pushing the idea of the size of their burgers with things like the Big Mac and the Whopper. Wendy's didn't have any specific big name type burger. And most of their products were single patty burgers. But they did contain more meat than they believed people were realizing. McDonald's at the time is also trying to, you know, corrupt children with toys and everything with their Happy Meal and creating things like Chicken McNuggets and the McNugget Buddies and you know, kind of distracting from the fact that their food is quite subpar. So Wendy's wanted to showcase that their hamburger had more beef than, you know, McDonald's and Burger King, who they said were hiding their lack of meat by using larger buns. Wendy's wanted to call them out for doing this while at the same time showcasing that they themselves had more beef on their hamburgers. So how are they going to do this? So it starts with a guy named Joel Settlemayer. And he was the art director at Young and Rubicam and J. Walter Thompson, which are big advertising companies. And we're talking like madmen level of significance here as far as how big these companies were. If you've never watched Mad Men and you really want to get an understanding of why we buy and why we think about products in a certain way and why we crave and covet, um, it's all because of these guys. Like wa- watch Mad Men. It's absolutely brilliant just with how we are sold on feelings and emotions and how they're able to tap into that. So these are these are massive companies. Um, and so today commercials, they're always looking to feature, you know, glamorous people, obviously, and models to try to create an idealistic impression on people to sell their products. And th- this goes all the way back to the early days of advertising. These days, though, If you've noticed, we're starting to get that mix of that sort of same dynamic, but also more comedic based advertising. And you see this really well in in Super Bowl commercials. You're just as likely to see a regular looking person now and even an inferior looking person, if you if you will, as much as you are going to see a Kardashian in an ad. And so we're we're sort of used to more um, creativity a little more like that comedic sense, a little more the wackiness to stand out. And, you know, that's pretty normal. But this is not the case, especially in the 70s and 80s. During this time period, all commercials would would use perfect-looking people to create an image of perfection for whatever product was being sold. I mean, the best example I can just think of is the old double mint gum ads, if you remember that. And they're just conveying a shiny and perfect existence. So um, Settlemare was the guy who changed all this, and he is the one who fundamentally changed the appearance of how commercials looked. Instead of using, you know, plastic mannequin-looking model actors that made the whole ad look like a soap opera, he would cast regular-looking and sometimes not attractive people. Again, this seems like not a big deal today, but this was very groundbreaking through the 70s and into the 80s. He also gave commercials a looser feel instead of making them, again, look like that glossy movie-like production. He wanted to make them more fun and engaging as opposed to looking like every other commercial you've ever seen. So his commercials would include what seemed like simple things, but involved people making strange expressions. He would speed up and slow down the movements in the commercials, give it some more 
movement, more fluidity. He would do exaggerated um, loping walks, you know, where people just sort of um, would just play up the idea of a regular walk, just something to stand out, make it a bit wackier. He would state a commercial is something you watch when you sit down to watch something else. So you should at least be entertained. This whole what, you know, it seems pretty standard approach uh, back then made him a rock star in the advertising world, leading him to win multiple Clio awards. Again, if you've watched Mad Men and you know Don Draper, you know all about the Clio and it made him a highly sought after talent. You might remember uh, one of his specific commercials was the FedEx fast talking man commercials. Again, I don't know how old you are, but um, if you've never heard of this thing, look it up on YouTube, just the FedEx fast talking man. So you'll, you'll probably be familiar with it. You'll definitely know the main actor in it. Who's named John Machito. He's the iconic micro machines guy from those commercials. So this whole new unique approach made Settlemeyer the ultimate choice to deliver their message. So looking now at creating uh, the commercial itself and the different variations of it. So the project was put in place by Wendy's international vice president, William Welter, who led the marketing team going into the campaign. Settlemeyer gets a majority of the credit, as he does deserve, but he served as the director of the commercial, and other people such as Welter were also a big part of putting it together. Assisting Welter was Dan Dallin, a 35-year advertising veteran who worked for the Wendy's ad team from 1982 to 1986. So the team was made up of Welter, Dallin, Bruce Lay, Cliff Freeman from another outside advertising agency, and Settlemeyer. They wanted to showcase that the other fast food places were hiding the meat by the size of their bun. And they wanted to use regular people in the ad uh, that Settlemeyer had made so effective. It started out as a commercial featuring a young couple, but they were a regular looking couple, not models per se. But the ad they put out just wasn't seen as funny. For the next versions of the ad, Freeman came up with a storyboard for two different versions of the commercial after they had ditched the young couple. The one version featured a trio of aged men with one of them, an elderly bald man, saying thanks, but where's the beef? It didn't seem to connect very well, but they had another version that they had filmed with three older ladies, including one named Clara Peller that Freeman had discovered. Before continuing with the process of the commercial, though, let's take a look at the iconic Clara Peller. Peller was born in 1902 and was a manicurist and became a character actor, but had spent 35 years working for a beauty salon in Chicago. A commercial being filmed in Chicago needed to be set in a barber shop and needed a manicurist and took a whim on casting the 80-year-old Peller to play the part. The agency doing the commercial loved her no-nonsense manners and unique voice and thought they would be able to make use of her and signed her to an agency contract. Peller then started to be used in a bunch of different TV ads even though she had difficulty hearing and ability to only recite short lines of dialogue limited what she could do on camera. One of her first big parts was that of comical cleaning lady used in the Massachusetts state lottery game called Megabucks. All of these ads caught the eye of Freeman and she was cast in the Wendy's commercial and she would be instrumental in the success of this commercial and for Wendy's and for one of the biggest catchphrases ever created. There would be some issues surrounding how she would be compensated, but we'll get back to that in a sec. 
So now we're getting the commercial on the air. Like I said, there were two versions of the commercial now ready, and it was taken to the ad committee, which was made up of six executives and 10 franchisees, but it was straight up rejected. Some concerns were the customer surveys done by Wendy showed that people weren't all that concerned about the size of the patties. The ad committee also thought that the version with Peller was a little too abrupt due, of her, due to her louder and harsher way of speaking. They reworked some stuff, and the second version of the commercial got the thumbs up. Many probably don't remember this, but the version with the trio of men actually aired alongside the version with Peller, and they were both launched in January 1984. But it did not take long, and the version with Peller snowballed, making them dump the version with the three old men and instead focus on the trio of ladies. The ad was only intended to run for a short while, but the explosion in popularity allowed it to run for 10 weeks. And that's now where we look at the massive impact of the Where's the Beef commercial. And today, like I've sort of touched on this, advertising is very tough today. It's always been tough, but specifically today. There are so many things vying for our attention now that advertisers don't even know where to specifically be in order to get the most eyes on their product. There are so many TV and cable stations along with specialty channels that people are always cycling through. There are now five, what, what five, six, there's going to be seven different significant streaming services that get a lot of people's attention. So it's hard to narrow down where your audience is. Do people even really watch terrestrial TV anymore? And do people even watch live TV? I don't think there's a single show that I watch live besides sports. Everything else uh, is DVR'd and they play back and you obviously forward through the commercials. So where do you get your product in front of? Do you go to YouTube? Do you go to podcasts? Do you, you know, where is it? There's a lot of decisions to be made. In the 80s, with pretty much only three networks, it was much easier to get your message across to a vast majority of the viewing public. There was so little that was really vying for people's attention at the time that, you know, if you were seen on network television, you could blow up the next day. Entire careers could be made by one good musical performance or stand-up comedy set. You could be an unknown comic, have a good set on Johnny Carson, and the next day you're a household name. This was the case with the Where's the Beef commercial. Everybody saw this thing and everyone bought into it and embraced the uniqueness of the ad and of Peller's delivery of three words. It caught on so fast that it became a cultural phenomenon and made Peller somewhat of a cult star. This paid off big time for Wendy's as every Wendy's restaurant was doing at least 10% more sales in 1984 than they were in 1983. Their overall sales jumped by 31% to 945 million worldwide by 1985. That, that's just the financial success. Looking at the cultural impact of Where's the Beef. And said how in the 80s, if a commercial made a big splash, chances are everyone was talking about it. Where's the Beef would be mentioned on late night talk shows and even turned into a song. A national songwriter named Coyote McLeod recorded and performed his version of Where's the Beef. It was also a pretty big hit. That's when Where's the Beef crept its way into the 1984 presidential election. During the primaries of the spring of 1984, Democratic candidate and former Vice President Walter Mondale used the phrase to sum up the program policies put forward by opponent Gary Hart, which he believed were lacking in substance. 
This was at the height of the popularity of the commercial. So it was a great way to tap into the public consciousness by using a topical phrase that was also a very cutting jab at the same time. This all happened, again, I don't know how old you are. If you grew up at the time, you remember this very well. If not, it's something you have to read up on. But this happened during a televised debate just before the New York and Pennsylvania primaries. Hart was seen as being in a similar mold to John F. Kennedy, especially in appearance, and his platform was based on the concept of new ideas. He had gone from a dark horse to more of a threat, and he kept pushing the new ideas viewpoint in all his debates. Mondale seemed like he was waiting for this. And after Hart repeated it during the debate, Mondale leans over and says, quote, when I heard your new ideas, I'm reminded of that ad. Where's the beef? Unquote. This seems crazy, but Mondale's use of where's the beef would end up earning the Democratic nomination. The two sides were both using their slogans, which made Hart have to physically show his policy papers and tell him, here's the beef. Mondale kept pushing about where's the beef when it came to Hart's policies, and the public started to see it the same way and started to cast doubt on Hart's new ideas. So that's you know what I'm referring to as far as the, the crossover power that this phrase had. So it wasn't all good because there was a fallout between Wendy's and Clara Peller. So you would think that with such a monster commercial that Wendy's would have, you know, driven it into the ground and and played it so much. But they actually backed off and pulled the commercial. They also didn't make countless new versions of it, which is really surprising because they didn't want Peller to become overexposed. They still wanted to use Peller and capitalize on the popularity of both um, her and the catchphrase. So they offered her a three-year contract to be an ambassador for Wendy's. This would involve her to appear at new openings and any big events alongside Wendy's founder, Dave Thomas. Peller was obviously a hot commodity. She even appeared on Saturday Night Live, different TV appearances, and all kinds of interviews. She appeared in the low-budget 1985 movie, movie Moving Violations, and she was a guest timekeeper at WrestleMania II at the Battle Royal held in Chicago's Rosemont Horizon. The thing is, it seemed that she didn't actually make that much money from this massively successful commercial. For the initial TV spot, Peller made the standard day wage for an actor of $317.40. When she started doing the promotional work, Peller said that she was paid $30,000 for the first two commercials she did, plus profits from the product tie-ins. Wendy said, though, that they had paid her nearly 500000 for all the work she did. That was a number that Peller had denied. Things fell apart, though, when Peller ended up making a commercial for Prego Pasta Plus Spaghetti Sauce for the Campbell Soup Company. In her Screen Actor Guild contract, it was stated that she was free to appear in commercials for any goods, products, or services which did not directly compete with Wendy's hamburgers. So you can look up that Prego uh, commercial on YouTube and see what you think and see if it's sort of in violation of those terms. But this commercial came out in 1985, and Peller states through the commercial that she's found it, referring to the beef. That was enough for Wendy's to believe that she had violated her contract. According to them, it implied that Clara found the beef at somewhere other than a Wendy's restaurant. Wendy's then canceled her contract, and when announcing the dismissal, Wendy stated that Clara can find the beef only in one place, and that is Wendy's. That's brutal. Peller points out that she made Wendy's millions and millions of dollars, and she was not appreciated by them, which it's hard not to agree with, but I don't know. I guess Dave Thomas isn't wasn't as nice as he appeared in the commercials. 
So we'll start wrapping this up here and just, you know, looking at this whole legacy of Clara Peller and where's the beef, you know, following all this, Wendy's would enter into a big two year sales slump. I'm not sure if people became aware of how Wendy's had treated her or if it was more about where's the beef just being a passing fad. I'm more likely to think it was the latter as, you know, catchphrases come and go and it tends to be the popularity is more about the catchphrase than the brand itself. Wendy said it would take five years until they recovered and were able to create brand awareness again. This time it was due to those awful commercials with Dave Thomas. Do you remember that where they featured him all the time? I thought they sucked, but they apparently did the trick. So Peller would sadly pass away in August of 1987, but, you know, left behind a pretty amazing legacy. She was the catchphrase of the 80s and part of one of the most iconic lines and ads of all time. I really think Wendy's does owe her a lot. And just the phrase, where's the beef, like I said, still comes up today and is still used in reference to questioning things um, or, you know, accusing lackluster products or people or whatever. So, you know, it's become synonymous in the culture and it's become um, such an often quoted phrase that still refers back ultimately to Wendy's. So, you know, it's an, again, amazing legacy for a person and for a company and, you know, companies can only dream to have such an impact like that. But, you know, at the same time it did, it was so popular. It did have its negative side effects for the company. Okay. So that's it for me. Hopefully you like this. I think it's a very interesting topic. This, you know, look back at, you know, what we call now viral marketing and, and the idea of things catching on like wildfire through the pop culture, um, you know, and just how one sort of throwaway commercial, you never know what's going to hit. And that's why you have to keep creating and keep pushing stuff out there because you want to be the next, where's the beef or whatever. Okay. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this show again. If you haven't already subscribe, wherever you find your podcast, I should be there, but I will talk to you soon. Bye.